Greet you all in Jesus' name this morning. It's nice to see a good crowd. A little discouraging when it's your responsibility to preach and you look up and the pews are about half empty and you think, I wonder if word got up. Um, I know that doesn't happen, but you'd be amazed the things that go through a preacher's head before a message. Anyway, it's good to see the house well filled. Uh, I do see a few empty seats. Would it be better if we had more? Shade Mountain Christian Fellowship, as I understand, I may not have it exactly right to the year, but I believe it's over 30 years, almost 32. Uh, who can answer that for me? 88, maybe pushing 33 years. Um, I want to consider church growth. I just thought to start out with a question. Are we satisfied with our church growth here? Is it enough? Should it be more? Should we have an outreach? Is it wrong to say to our credit? I'm not sure about that. Maybe a few outreaches, maybe a table full of outreaches. Are we okay with the level of church growth we've experienced in 33 years? Maybe a better question would be, is God okay with it? Thought about in uh, Acts chapter 1 where the believers are gathered together. And this was after three years of the earthly ministry of Jesus, um, healing the sick, raising the dead, preaching, uh, perfect messages. And after three years, there were 120 people. Didn't seem a lot. Was that the right number? I titled the message today, Church Growth Matters. I stole it from a book that the youth are studying called Church Matters. And I really like that title because it has a double meaning. The book is about, it addresses matters related to the church. So Church Matters is a perfectly good title. But I like the fact that it also has the meaning that, the meaning attached to it, that church itself is something that matters. It's important. To talk about church growth matters. That is, some things related to church growth, but especially the fact that the church is to be growing, or it gives evidence that it's not a church. I'd like to consider that. Maybe if you're taking notes, I don't know if I'll get through all three of these. I'd sure like to, but I'm always battling with that clock. I'd like to talk about the fact that Christ's church is growing, or it's not his church. I'd like to consider Christ described in 1 Peter chapter 2. Christ described as a living stone, a chief cornerstone, and the head of the corner in the church. And what does that mean? Christ as a living stone, a chief cornerstone, the head of the corner. And then also in 1 Peter chapter 2, we are described as living stones. And what does it mean that we are living stones and Christ is a living stone? See how that all comes together. If you would turn with me to a text for the message, First Peter chapter two. Going to read uh, two through eight. And as I start here at the beginning of the message, I want you to notice in verse two and verse four and verse five that there's three references to growth as a defining characteristic, a quality that is required in the church. Three words, three phrases related to growth. In verse 2, we read, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye, that's y'all, plural, ye may grow. In verse 4, we read the phrase, To whom coming? Speaking of Jesus. There's something of a maturing or a sanctifying in church growth that's coming to Christ, to whom coming. And then in verse 5, we read that we're not just a pile of stones, we're not just a pile of living stones, but we're living stones that are being built up, the building process of the church. Three references to growth in three verses. 
All right, I'd like to ask you to stand as you're able for the reading of the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Okay, thank you. You can be seated. I have a lot of ground to cover today, and I don't have any time to waste. I do want to take just a moment of introduction as we're getting ready to start about a chief cornerstone and think about what that means, because we might not all be just crystal clear on building with stone. What is a chief cornerstone? I tried to think of an example, kind of a modern-day example that might be helpful, and something I thought about was the Washington Monument. I don't know how many of you would be real familiar with the Washington Monument. Probably most of you. It's that tall white obelisk in the district. It's uh, 555 feet and five inches tall. It's carefully made to be 10 times taller than it is wide at the base. It has a 24-foot wide foundation um, made of Potomac blue rock. They chose a rock for the foundation that a single square inch piece of this rock can take over 4,000 pounds of pressure without crushing. It's a very dense, solid rock. It's very hard to crush. 25-foot foundation. So this is a little bit what the monument looks like. Okay, that's not... So the foundation's 25 feet thick, and it's sitting in kind of an interesting place because when the Capitol was designed, Washington, D.C. was going to be just this amazing layout. They were going to take the White House, build it here. They then went on um, to place the Lincoln Memorial later there. They put the Capitol building which is where there was all that unrest recently, here, and it was to be a perfect cross, or a T, maybe you want to call it. And there's a spot right here, and the Washington Monument was going to go right there. Unfortunately, Washington, D.C. was built on a swamp. If you look at Washington, D.C., there are no buildings six stories tall. The maximum building height in Washington, D.C. is five stories. Um, The soil is soft. There's nothing for things to sit on. So they wanted to build this monument. They wanted to put it in the right spot so that it would just be a marvel of engineering perfectly in line with the Capitol building, the Lincoln Memorial, and the White House. And it turned out that it was a particularly swampy spot. And they had to move it. And if you look up Google Earth or something, you can see it. You can see that it isn't where it belongs. They moved it 110 yards towards the Capitol building because there was a spot of rock there and they were able to build this building on this one spot of rock. Find that interesting. There is a chief cornerstone in the Washington Monument, in the bottom corner of the monument.
couple things about this chief cornerstone. One thing that's interesting is the entire monument is assembled without bolts or pins or mortar. Every stone in the structure is held together by nothing more than friction. That is, they laid quarried stones on top of each other, and they're not fastened together. So it was a bit of a big deal when there was an earthquake um, 10 years ago or so. They were very concerned because there's nothing holding this together but friction. I thought that was interesting. Anyway, the uh, cornerstone was laid in 1848 on July 4th. The city of Washington, D.C. was filled with people that had come from all around the country to see the placing of the chief cornerstone. They had excavated the site. They had over 20,000 people in the streets of D.C., and they had ropes, and people pulled this cornerstone from the railway station to the building site with manpower. It was pulled with ropes by men. It was drugged through the streets of the city. It weighed 25,000 pounds. A couple things I just wanted to share about this chief cornerstone that started the construction of the Washington Monument. The president was there, the members of the cabinet, uh, the entire membership of the Senate, the House of Representatives. There were marching groups, military units, patriotic organizations, the Marlboro Cavalry, the Eagle Artillerists, the Washington Light Infantry, the Marine Band, uh, numerous fire companies, horse-drawn pumpers, hose carts, flowers, flags, and bunting. The Speaker of the House delivered a two-hour speech. If you're anticipating a long sermon, I promise it won't be two hours long. Two-hour speech for the placing of the chief cornerstone for the Washington Monument. They made a time capsule, and they put in the chief cornerstone uh, mementos from the time, copies of the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, portrait of George Washington, national coins, all the way up to the $10 gold eagle, an American flag, 14 newspapers, uh, for that day, July 4th. Other memorabilia. Okay, the cornerstone was formally laid by a Grand Master Mason from the Grand Lodge of Free and Accepted Masons of the District of Columbia. He wore George Washington's Masonic apron and George Washington's Masonic sash. He had a Mason's gavel that had been given to him by George Washington. He took a special instrument, a Masonic square, level, and plumb. The Masons, I guess, are known for building things square, level, and plumb. And they have instruments to measure these things. And they measured this stone, and they set it perfectly square, perfectly level, perfectly plumb, perfectly oriented, and other than 110, years, 110 yards out of where they would have liked to put it, exactly on the spot that it needed to be. And this grand master of the Masons come in with his little instruments, measured this stone, and pronounced it sound. That is, it was in the right spot, it was oriented right, it was on rock that could support the structure, it was made of a material that could support the weight, and he checked that it was square, level, and plumb. He declared it sound, and then he poured vials of a traditional Masonic blessing onto this cornerstone. He sprinkled corn on it to invoke the blessing of plenty on the nation. He poured wine on it for joy ever to be found in our broad land. And he poured oil on it, the healing oil of consolation. In concluding the ceremonies, the Grand Master Mason said, this cornerstone is now ready to receive the rest of the structure which will rise above it. May no accident attend its construction, and may the capstone that announces its completion be laid under circumstances as happy and as favorable as this foundation stone has now been placed. So they've been looking for this cornerstone, uh, excavating and trying to find it, and they've been unable to find it. I'm not sure why that is, but I found that interesting. 2,000 years ago in Judea, a chief cornerstone was laid when construction began on the day of Pentecost for the Church of Jesus Christ. The construction project of his church is still underway. Like the Washington Monument, there is a planned completion to that church. There will be a saint who will be the final saint added to the Church of Jesus Christ. He'll be the capstone of a sorts. 
That is, we would take for granted that Jesus has never turned away anyone that came to him in repentance and faith and embraced him as a child of God. But there will come a day that it will be too late to confess Christ when the church is completed. No one knows that day. But after 20 centuries, the church that began with the placing of the chief cornerstone in Christ is still under construction. All right, I want to talk a little bit about church growth. I said we could have room for a few more people. It'd be nice to have a few more people. It'd be nice to have a lot more people. Why not have uh, standing room only? Why not have a speaker out in the parking lot? Why not have tens of thousands? I mean, wouldn't that be better? Is it our responsibility to accomplish that? Or are we kind of in just like a Airbnb church here that somebody else built and we're just here for the ride and it's a place to stay and we're satisfied to be a part of the church, but people might come, people might not come. I guess that's pretty much up to God, not our problem. I guess those would be the two different attitudes. We could either be obsessed and consumed with new membership and exploding membership roles, or we could just say, well, that's God's problem. He brings the increase. What is the right place to be? Are we in the right place? I'd like to talk first about church growth as having two different components. The first thing we think about in church growth is multiplication. Multiplication is numbers. It's getting bigger in numbers, the church growing in numbers. We see that in verse 2 and verse 5 of the text here, growing in numbers. Uh, Desiring the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. That growth could speak of either a growing deeper or growing more mature in our faith, or a growth that as we are more faithful to and observant of the word, it draws people, multiplying effect of growing from our desire for the word. And in verse 5, we read about as lively stones, we're built up. This spiritual house, it's under construction. Living stones are being added to the church of Jesus Christ every day. That's multiple. I'm going to have trouble like Leroy did with, with Zealous. Multiplicative. That multiplic- that's multiplying growth. That's more people, more souls in the church. The other form of church growth is sanctification. So we have multiplication, we have sanctification. Sanctification is growing in Christ-likeness, growing in Christian maturity, growing in faithfulness and obedience, um, which is more important. I would say that you can't have one without the other. That is, without us being a sanctified, Christ-like, obedient, disciplined, committed brotherhood, we can't expect that we have anything to offer a watching world. You can't accomplish multiplication without sanctification. Uh, Turn with me to the Great Commission. often wondered if I can just say that and not give a scripture reference. I think most of us would get there. I suppose someone could say there are several great commissions. There's one we usually turn to. Matthew 28, verse 18. to lose this beautiful diagram here. I guess it served its purpose. I want to notice in the Great Commission that there's a model for church growth. That is, there is a, a way to accomplish church growth. We're not left to our own devices to figure out how do we participate? How do we be laborers together with God? According to 1 Corinthians 3, we're laborers together with God. We're involved in this building process. How do we do it? Well, we don't have to come up with our own system. Jesus gave us an excellent system in the Great Commission. Let's look at uh, verse 18. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations 
I want to stop there and notice that uh, when I was at CBS, there was a kind of a Greek scholar there um, teaching when I was there. And he said that this go ye therefore and teach all nations is actually a little bit of a corruption of the Greek. And that's because there's a primary verb and a secondary verb in that phrase. So the two verbs are go and teach. And that teach is actually the primary verb and go is a secondary verb. And that a more um, fitting translation would be teach all nations as you're going. Okay, not to take away, I'm the last one to take away from our responsibility to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. But this passage is referring to the, can I say it, the primacy of the church's responsibility to be teaching. So, teaching as you go, Jesus says. Teaching as you go. Now, another thing that's a little bit out of whack there is the term teach is actually a verb for disciple. I don't have, I didn't bring along the spelling for it, but a disciple is mathetes, and the verb there for teaching is mathetuo. And it's literally make disciples. So make disciples as you're going is what we're called to do. We're to add to the roles of the church. We're to call people to conversion to become disciples. So let me just move that around a little and, and read through here. So as you're going, Make disciples of all nations. No, I want to turn that around. Make disciples of all nations as you're going, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. So we see we're making disciples, we're baptizing them, and then going on in verse 20, teaching them to observe all things, whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always unto the end of the world. All right, this is uh, Jesus growth strategy for the church. And that is, I can read my own writing here. Multiply. Make disciples. Baptize. Make it official. Make it formal. No question about who's in and who's out. Multiply, baptize, sanctify, and then this sets in motion a, a perpetual motion machine because a sanctified body of believers displays the glory of God. It's compelling and powerful. It testifies to the grace of God working here, and it's something then that a lost world sees and wants. So you see what's happening here. We start out with a preaching of the word. That accomplishes making disciples. The disciples are baptized and then instructed in Jesus' ways. And that is such a glorious and compelling thing to a dark world that they're drawn to our light. And that accomplishes the multiplication and sets that in motion. I wonder how many of you are thinking, I just made that up. I didn't. Honest. Turn with me to Isaiah 60. You should look at the whole chapter. I unfortunately don't have time for it. But the whole chapter is a description of God's only inspired, can't fail, always works growth plan for the church. That is, if we do what's described here, We will grow in precisely the way God desires for our church. Let me read a few verses here. I, I would like to read all 22 because it continues through the whole chapter. But I'm going to take the time and read maybe seven verses. I want you to just think about this model of the Great Commission, which is make disciples as you go, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and that that becomes a powerfully compelling thing that is our gospel tract. Again, not to take away from gospel tracts, but if we don't have that gospel tract, all the other ones in that rack are going to be not worth the paper they're printed on. 
So we have people that are sanctified. They display the glory of God. It's impossibly attractive to a lost world, and they come to us. And this, this cycle goes on. It's here in Isaiah 60. Here's our call. Here's what we're to do. Verse 1. We as God's people, arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about and see. All they gather themselves together, they come to thee. Thy sons shall come from far, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. You see that the lost world comes and becomes our sons and daughters, spiritual sons and daughters, because we arose and we shined the light that God had already given us, and the glory of the Lord is seen on us. And the Gentiles come to our light. Verse 5, Then thou shalt see and flow together, thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee, the forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. The multitude of camels shall cover thee, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah. They shall come from Sheba. They from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense. They shall show forth the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together unto thee. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister unto thee, and they shall come up with acceptance on mine altar, and I will glorify the house of my glory." I find that incredibly exciting. That is that God promises to give us his glory. Verse 1 calls us to arise and shine with that glory. And the forces of the Gentiles will flow into us. We don't have to go beg and plead and grab and drag people to the gospel because when they see it in sanctification, it becomes compelling. It becomes attractive. It's powerful. So you ask, whose job is church growth? Well, the end of verse 7, it's God's job. He glorifies the house of his glory. But in verse 1, it's our job. Arise and shine. Thy light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. I really like the name for the church in the end of verse 7 there. The house of my glory. I don't hear that a lot, but that's what this is. House of God's glory. All right. So we talked about defining church growth. It's not growing in numbers. It's not growing in Christian maturity and holiness and obedience and Christ-likeness and sanctification. It's neither of those things. It's both. So we pay attention to the observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And that accomplishes the multiplication. The church is a disciple factory. All right. I've been challenged more than once to uh, include something for the children in my message. And I always kind of finish up the, uh, the main part of my message, and I have some ideas about a children's part, and it never fits, and there's never time. Um, it doesn't fit today, and there isn't time. But I'm going to do it anyway, and I... Uh, I've been wanting to do this for a long time. So I'm going to ask the children to come forward and sit in the center aisle and just leave me a little room here at the front pew. So come on up. You won't get in trouble. I know I'm out of order here. All right, I'm a little claustrophobic, so I need a little space. I, got, I reserve this front pew for me. Is this it? Is this everyone? Are there any? Good. All right. Welcome, children. Is this very strange? <laughs> Nobody likes things that are out of order. Sorry for that. All right. I have a few questions for you. This is the children's sermon. All right. You ready for this? Okay. A couple questions. First, what was Jesus' work? What did he do when he was growing up in Nazareth with, as a son to Joseph and Mary? What was his work? What did he do? 
Yes. He was a carpenter. Very good. We could be a little more specific. There weren't a lot of trees and a lot of lumber and a lot of timber in Galilee and Nazareth. Mostly only rich people had lumber. It's kind of like these days. The price of lumber is through the roof. Well, back then you want to build with wood, you better be a rich person. He might have been a builder of, with stone. He might have been a mason, actually. Probably was. Most of the buildings would have been built with stone. But right, let's just say builder. Not trying to pick you apart. That was a good answer. All right, so his work growing up was as a builder. What is Jesus' work now? Ooh, that's tough. Yeah. Teaching? That's a very good answer. I like that I didn't think of it. Good. Who else? What is Jesus' work now? It says in the Bible, he's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's in the throne room of God. He's sitting Next to God, what, with his feet up doing nothing? Sipping on iced tea? No, he's doing something. What is he doing? Teaching is very helpful. What else? What is he doing? Go out on a limb. You got an idea. Wait, don't say it. I'll give you a hint. Jesus said before he left, when he was still on earth, I will build my church. What do you think Jesus' occupation, his work is now? Yes. Very good. What do you think he's building? The church. Good. I find it fascinating that for 30 years, Jesus was a builder. And then after he ministered and after he taught and after he's crucified and after he, after he rose again and after he ascended, he went into heaven to be a builder. And he's building his church. Very good. Um, oh, we need to fix something. Any of you? you hold this. Don't lose my page. Any of you ever do this at home? Here's the church. Can you help me with this? Who knows this? Here's the steeple. Open it up. And what do we see? Yes. Wrong. Sorry, honey. Don't cry. It's okay. No. Yes. Huh? Fingers. Oh, okay. There's one, there's one in every crowd. I'm going to tell you now, I don't know what your parents are going to say, and I don't want to get in trouble, but I don't think we should ever do this because it's totally not true. What we're doing is totally not true. What Sabrina said is actually not true. Sorry, honey. So, here's the church house. This is a building for the church. It's not the church. Here is a big waste of money. Um, (laughs) I mean, whatever, let's put up a steeple if you want, but... uh, I don't think there's any honor for God in that. But that's okay. I mean, you can have a steeple. So here's the church house. Open it up and see what? The church. The church is the people. The church is the people. This is not the church. What is this? Yes. Church house. Very good. We're in a church house. This is a roof to keep the rain off the head of the saints. That's what it is. This is a church house. We tend to call it a church, but that's actually very sloppy and not true. So, if I get in trouble with your parents, whatever, just don't tell me if you're doing this at home, the old church steeple people thing. Let's say church house, church. Got it? Look around you. You see all these people? Look over this way. Don't miss anybody. That's the church. The church is sitting in the pews under the roof of the church house. Got it? Okay. Um, Did you lose my page? Did you cheat and look ahead? Should have found somebody more trustworthy. No, you did good. Thank you. All right. Wouldn't it be cool, Jesus is building church, if we could build it with him? If he invited us to help him and build his church with him, would that be fun? Who would want to be part of that? I'd like to do that. It says in 1 Corinthians 3.9, we are laborers together with God. 
We get to help him build his church. Isn't that amazing? All right. Let me ask you another question now. We're we're doing questions today. Is it okay to be careless when we're helping God build his church? Can we just whatever, like, whatever suits us? I mean, can we be sloppy? Has anybody here ever done a sloppy job? No, never. You come work for me. All right. I have a job for you. No, we know what it is to do a sloppy job, right? Does that honor God? No. If we're going to labor with God building his church, we better be careful. Do you know what else it says in 1 Corinthians 3? It says that if you defile the temple of the Lord, the, the church, if you do a sloppy job building the church with God, you know what it says God will do? It says he will destroy you. Hey, that's no joking matter. That's very serious. It says, take heed how you build. We're to build the church with gold and silver and precious stones, it says. We don't use wood and hay and straw. We don't build junk for something that's so important to God. Do you know, God says that his people are his portion. His people are his portion. These people right here, these are everything that God has, everything that matters to him, are all tied up in his people. His people are his portion. You know what else it says in, uh, I got to cheat. It says somewhere. Zechariah chapter two, it says, whoever touches God's people touches the apple of his eye. That's how precious God's people are. You're going to work with Jesus building his church. You be very careful. Who is okay if I touch their uh, pupil or their eye? Can I have a volunteer? I'll be careful. Is it all right? I touch your eyeball? Not really. Uh, Anybody touch my eyeball? Why not? Why not? Would you like it? If I touched your eyeball? No, that's a terrible thing. Stay away from my eyeballs. They're sensitive. They're touchy. They're precious. What if you blinded me? It says in Zechariah that when you're doing something with God's people, you do it careful because it's like God's eyeball. He's very touchy about it. He's sensitive and he wants you to be careful. If I touch your eye, you don't want me just doing that, do you? Okay, you're going to touch my eye. You're going to do something with my church. You be very careful. No volunteers? You have glasses. Okay. All right. Uh, Time flies. So we'll be very careful. We're laborers together with God in building the church. We're going to take heed how we build. We're going to be careful. We know that God's apple of his eye is his people. We know that if we defile the temple of God, building the church poorly or sloppily or selfishly, it says God will destroy anyone who's sloppy in building his church. Good. All right, I have an object lesson. I need two volunteers. Hmm. All right, I need strapping strong volunteers. There's two here. All right, there's a box in there. I put it right in the middle of the room, but somebody moved it. There's a big box kind of back a little bit. One of you on either end, bring it out. It's terribly heavy. Will you go get it? Big box. I'm serious. You volunteered. Go through that door, get the big box, one on each end, and bring it in. And be careful, it's very heavy. Is this going to be a while? I don't have a while. That's it. One on each end. Bring it in. Careful. You have no idea how precious that is, what you're carrying. Okay, right here. Careful, easy. Good. Do you know why that was so heavy? Hmm? Do you know what's in here? Living stones. This box is full of living stones. Has anybody ever seen a living stone? 
Stones are pretty dead, aren't they? Stones are dead, dead. If anything was ever dead, it was a stone, right? I can run over a squirrel and pick it up and maybe he's a little squishy, but I can imagine he was alive one time and I don't know, maybe there's some life, spark of life. You pick up a stone. Can that stone live? Huh? Not very well. Do you know that God says that Jesus is a living stone? Jesus being alive after he was crucified. That's amazing. That's an incredible miracle. And then, everybody's still with me? I'm losing you. Then he goes on and says that God's people are living stones too. That is, you were all spiritually dead and now you're alive. And it's as great a miracle that a lost sinner becomes a child of God as if I pick up a stone in the parking lot and next thing I know, whoo, this thing's alive. The people that make up the temple of God, the church of Jesus Christ, are living stones. That's what's in this box. Telling you it's living stones. I told you boys to be careful with it because this is a church. This is a big old batch of living stones. It's actually building blocks. Who wants to build a church? If you're not into it, it's okay. I I actually have a message I should get to. Who wants to build a church? Cool, let's do it. Everybody grab a block. Let's build a church. These are living stones. Peter, no, no, let's come on up this way a little bit. Build it up. I want to see a church. Everybody take two blocks. I have no idea how this is going to go. Good. When you've, when you've built your church, move on out and let somebody else in. This is kind of worse than I thought. I also said I'm claustrophobic and you're, you're crowding my space here. Let's get this church built. Move along. That's it. Okay, if you've laid a... Oh, that's too bad. Uh, if you've laid a few blocks, come on back. Let some other people bring their living stones. Living stones. Let's go. Oh, this is awful. This is one of those ideas that when you're preparing a message seems like a good idea and then you get in here and realize it's... Not a good idea. How's our church? Ooh, it's kind of scattered. I don't know. This is awful. Okay, you you boys had your turn. Let's move in. Some of you others, build it up. If you put your stone, move back. Let some other stone layers in. Good. Hmm. I say good. All right. Who, let's get the last few stones in. Are we done? Slide back. You invaded my space. Ah! Somebody missed one. Would you put this on the church? Sorry, I need a little oxygen here. Okay. Who's uh, proud of this church? Megan. Do you think this church can honor God? What's the problem? It's built what? Did you take heed how you built? No. You know, if this was the real thing instead of an object lesson, we would have defiled the temple of the living God. We would have made a mess of it, right? What's the problem? What did you do wrong? Something's wrong here. Yes. Huh? People were careless. What else? Was there a plan? Who had the main plan? Who had a plan? Who knew what they were doing here? What? (laughs) Nobody. So this was just like throw blocks on a pile kind of thing. Yes. You had a plan. Is this your plan? All right. It says in Ephesians 2 verse 20 that the church is built 
on the foundation of the apostles with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. I have everybody's attention. Ephesians 2.20, the church is built. There's a plan. You can't just do whatever you want here. This is, this is disgraceful. We defiled the temple of God if this was really the church. I mean, it's not a joking matter. We need to be careful when we're building the church. So, Ephesians 2.20 says, The church is built on the foundation of the apostles with Jesus Christ as the, what did I say? Chief, chief cornerstone. Okay, let's say this is the chief cornerstone. It says in 1 Peter 2 that we come to Jesus as unto a living stone. And then the next verse, it says, you also are living stones. You know, we have a lot in common with Jesus. We're building blocks in the church. But Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Where he gets put is very important. So here's, let's just say this is Jesus. And this is the chief cornerstone. Everything else is going to build off of this. And now we need what? How do I do the foundation? Yeah. The apostles, right? How do we do the apostles? How's this going to go? How many apostles? Was it 12? Say 12. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. We're building on Jesus and we're building with the apostles. Do you know the word of God in the New Testament? We have 27 books of the Bible that tell us how to build the church because Jesus, the chief cornerstone and the apostles are right there. So here we've got 12 apostles and we've got Jesus as the chief cornerstone. And now we're going to build the rest of the church. You all get one living stone and build it by the pattern. Now listen. Take heed how you build. That's what 1 Corinthians 3 says. It says if you defile the temple of God, God will destroy you. We're going to be careful here. I want this done right and I want it after this pattern. I put it here for a reason. I want it this way. We have Jesus as the chief cornerstone. We have the apostles. And now, now, build the church right. Let's, uh, one at a time, hmm. I'm going to show you a trick. We're going to overlap these blocks. Back off, take your block. Come to me one at a time. I'll show you how I want them on. Here, honey, right there. Oops, turn it around. Good. Good, here. Do you see how the way we're putting them on ties the blocks together? Who can see that? Do you see that? As it gets taller, these blocks will hold each other together if we overlap them this way. There's a reason for this. Good. Who else has a living stone? Good. Do you see what we're doing? Good. Want to try one, huh? Oops. Good. Can you help each other if you see somebody doing it a little wrong? There's a pattern here. There's a reason for these things. Go ahead. Good. Oh, now you guys are getting it. Excellent. Perfect. Nice. Exactly. This is exactly what I wanted. Okay, put them on. Back off if you've done your building. Let's let some others in. Uh, 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 that's not right. Somebody help him. What's wrong with what he's doing? Don't just grab it. Yeah, show him how to do it right. Good. 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 Sabrina, how are you going to put your living stone on? Hmm? Hey, we missed some living stones. Let's go get it built. I think you guys see the pattern. I think you know what you're doing now. All right, it started out kind of bad. This is much better. Careful though, right? We're taking heed how we build. We're laborers together with God. Uh, that's not right. That last one is not right. Somebody show her what's wrong. Good, exactly. Tie that thing together. Good, good. Any more? Excellent. No more. Guess what? 
The church is done. All the living stones are in place. Actually, this could be the capstone. I don't know. No more stones. When Jesus comes again, this, the church will be finished. Very good. Okay, y'all can go sit down. You did very well. All right. You children, I'm still talking to you, all right? Do you think it matters how we built the church? Is this church more able to honor God than the one that we just built? Higgledy-piggledy, whatever, built it how we felt like. Do you see how this can honor God? Do you see how it's stable? Do you see how it's according to His plan? He had a plan. He had Jesus as the cornerstone. He had the apostles as the foundation. He wanted it tied together where the joints would help hold each other together. And he ended up with something that pleases him and that can honor him and that will stand. God cares very much how his church is built. Let me ask you children a question. I wish I hadn't sent you back. Have you ever been in town and seen some big fancy church or seen some church that was maybe loud and flashy and you thought, uh, well, it's kind of pathetic where we are. I wish we could have some of that cool stuff. Look, they have balloon rides or they have uh, Easter egg hunts or look at their church. It's fancy and a big paved parking lot and uh, shade mountain. Okay. Do you know what? There's some reasons to why things are the way they are. I'm not saying everything we do here is exactly right and perfect and God honoring and pleasing to God, but It's done for a reason, and the things we do here are built on the apostles and Jesus as the chief cornerstone. So some of the things we do are unhandy, and maybe even we don't appreciate, but they're done for a reason. I will ask you children to do something. Uh, God willing, if you become living stones and followers of Jesus, you'll have the opportunity to build on Jesus' church, just like The living stones here have built on that church. I will challenge you to never do anything that doesn't line up with the chief cornerstone and the apostles. And if you see us building in a way that doesn't line up with Jesus Christ and the apostles, you do your duty and tell us because we're not perfect. Some of our things aren't everything they should be. But it's my observation that most all of it is. And some things that we might find unhandy are actually there for an important reason. All right. Didn't expect to find myself right at this point with my time uh, more than gone. Probably want to talk a little more about multiplying and sanctifying and church growth, maybe be a little more practical about it. Um, But I don't want to do that today. So I'm going to thank you for your attention, Um, ask you to kneel for prayer.